Let's turn together to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. No prize for guessing what the focus is going to be this morning and uh, probably for the coming couple of weeks. I want to encourage us in the area of faith. Faith. One little word which has come to mean so many different things. But just as we're returning, let me pray for us. And then we'll get into it this morning. If this microphone is giving us grief, just let me know and I'll switch. But Father, I just want to thank you today for this moment that we have to gather around your word. And Lord, I thank you that as we come, we don't just come for information, for knowledge, as important as that is. But your promise is that as we come to your word, we come for transformation. They will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Lord... I'm sure all of us need it, probably some of us more than others. But I pray that as we hear your word proclaimed this morning, that it wouldn't just be knowledge, it wouldn't just be my words, but it would be your written word that is alive, that is active. And would that bring about transformation? Thank you that your promise is that as we hear and recognize the truth, as we know the truth, the truth will set us free. So would you come and speak both to our minds and our hearts? Would we see you? Would we savor you in a new and fresh and real and powerful way? Thank you that you love us so much, that you never give up on us, that you're always at work. That's your promise and your assurance for us. And I pray that you would accomplish this morning whatever you desire, in me, in us, in our midst, as your people, through the power of your Holy Spirit, for the glory of your name, King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 is where we're at. Let me set it up in this way. You know, I I hesitate. I don't know that I've ever... I preached a whole series on the topic of faith and in some ways I have a, hev- a hesitation to even approach the subject given that faith, the meaning of faith has come to be so broad that it's almost become meaningless. It's come to mean so many different things in the way in which we use it as believers in different streams, in different circles of the church. Now sometimes we talk about faith almost as this feeling it's this thing we can't quite put our fingers on it's a fleeting thought what was it? it was faith it was faith we can't quite describe it times almost wishful thinking well is that faith sometimes we often use the expression living by faith we're called to live by faith which we are and at times not all the time but at times i've come to see that living by faith can be a glorified way of saying i have no desire to find a real job you heard that living by faith brother is it possible to live by faith and still work a nine-to-five job i'll leave you with that thought sometimes we talk about faith or in some circles faith is talked about as almost this magic formula as a divine vending machine if you believe it you can have it you put in the slot it's the process you press the button and out comes whatever result you might desire there's whole faith preachers they're often called 
seem to be obsessed at times, not all, I don't want to say any particular flavour of the church is in total error, but obsessed with money. He's got to sow a seed. $50, $100, $5,000, that's faith. 5000 is faith. It's for the Lord. Put my name on the check. I'll make sure it goes where it needs to go. And no, in case you're wondering, there won't be an offering towards my personal private jet fund. If the Lord leads you to give in that manner, that's another matter. So what is faith? And as I said, my concern is that we would study faith and somehow end up more confused than what we actually began. But what is biblical faith? Because the Bible talks about it a lot. Jesus talks about it. Faith is a big thing in the study of Scripture, in its application in our life. But what genuinely is real faith? Will the real faith stand up? And that's what I'm hoping that we will discover a little bit of as we go on this journey together. So if you've got Hebrews 11.1, best place to go. It's not to some faith teacher, but it's to the Word of God. This is what the writer to Hebrews says, words I'm sure we're very familiar with. Hebrews 11 verse 1, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we should uh, get a little bit of context before we go any further. Hebrews, the writer to the, the, the Hebrews, has spent the first nine and into the 10th the chapter of Hebrews talking about Jesus, particularly focusing on how Jesus is better than any of the Old Testament examples of faith. Jesus is better than the Old Covenant. Jesus is the living sacrifice, is the only way to the Father etc etc Jesus 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 has been his focus and then he turns and says so what's our response what could our response be as we see and recognize who Jesus is and there's only one response is his conclusion it's faith it's all about faith it's all about faith and so the beginning of chapter 11 he gives us what you could refer to as a definition of faith and we're going to look at that in some detail but he'll then go on and say and this is the demonstration is the definition but this is the demonstration he says I want you not just to be able to define it but to see it in action so let's skip ahead because if you're like me you always like reading the end of the book right you like to see how it all pans out and then you go back and you flesh it out and read the details if we had the time, we would read the entire chapter of Hebrews 11. I'd encourage you to do so as we launch into this series on faith in your own time. But let's just pick up. He's going to say, by faith, by faith, by faith, and give us all these individual examples. It reaches somewhat of a crescendo in verse 32 of chapter 11. That's where we'll pick it up. He says, what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, of all these other heroes this is not an exhaustive list this is an inexhaustive list he's saying of all these heroes who, who heroes who've lived and accomplished so much by faith first 33 three for through faith they conquered kingdoms they enforced justice obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions they quenched the power of fire they escaped the edge of the sword they were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and on and on he continues. You would have to say this is a pretty incredible description or demonstration of faith. We could say this, 
Faith very clearly then is powerful. In fact, there's few things in Scripture that seem to hold more power than faith. By faith, Jesus himself says we can move, move mountains. We've just seen by faith there were nations changed, the dead was raised. And yet we could say that faith is also pervasive. There's everything covered in this chapter, Hebrews 11, every situation and circumstance that you could face. It talks about worshipping by faith. It talks about drawing near by faith. It talks about, as we said, conquering kingdoms by faith. Every circumstance and situation, there is a, an opportunity to exercise faith. So it's powerful, it's pervasive, it's personal. There's every type of person mentioned in this description, from kings to prostitutes, from widows to the wealthy, every walk of life, every sphere of influence, people have exercised faith. And we could continue, it's powerful, it's pervasive, it's personal, it's productive, it's a process, and on and on we go. As I said, I wanted to give you a taste not just of how to define it, but what, of actually, what it looks like in demonstration. See, let's just look at the flip side of that for a moment. You see, never does it say in this list once, not that I can see, you can study it for yourself. Never does it say, by faith, they live nice, comfortable lives. They held meetings, they sung sweet songs around the campfire, they preached lovely messages. See, these were people who did not live just to survive or live comfortable lives, but they lived to see the world changed. They lived to see God glorified in their day. By faith, they took hold of that which He promised them. And as they, by faith, pressed into His promises, the impossible, that which never would have been possible, became possible. They love not their lives even unto death because they live for a love and a life greater than this life itself. And I would suggest this to us. There is a faith. The Bible talks about it, a faith that moves mountains. And there is a people who by faith lay claim to the promises of God. And just in case you, as I sometimes do, you have the tendency to read these great examples and think, well, that's for someone else. That's not for me. That's for the heroes in the Bible. That's for the anointed ones. The, the writer to Hebrews goes on in chapter 12 and says, Therefore, because I've just shown, shown you that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, let us run. He says, let us lay aside every weight. Let us. This is, this is about the us. He doesn't say, you see those examples now? Let, let me run. Let me do this. He doesn't say, now, you've seen those examples, but let those who are really called to live by faith, let them exercise faith. Let the really anointed ones, the ones that God really, His favorites, this is for the us. How many of you are an us? Only about three. Well, hopefully by the time we finish this series on faith, we will realize that this is an invitation to us. It's an invitation to us. And it's my prayer, This more than anything else. You know, I could preach sermons and I could try and give us information and knowledge and understanding and all those things are fine and good. But it would be my heart and my prayer to the Lord as we launch this season is not that you would come away with some new knowledge about faith, a new understanding, a new perspective, but that there would be something deposited in us 
Because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of, of the Lord. And so that as we hear his word proclaimed, that there would be faith that would come to us, that would arise in our hearts. And we would say, yes, this is us. We are the us who are called to live by faith. Not just survive life, not just live our nice, comfortable existence in the greatest city, voted twice now in the world, but that we would live to make a difference for his glory that we would live to see his kingdom come in our city. I can feel the excitement. I can see how stirred you are already. And if you want, you could, you, could, you could step out there and say amen. You could give the preacher some encouragement. I don't mind encouragement. It helps. And if it's going really bad, even more so. Encourage, encourage. Lord, help us. Help us here. But God, help us to get this, to be stirred, to be a people of faith. That's what I'd pray, what I'd pray for us. So let's go back then. We've seen perhaps a foretaste of the demonstration of faith, the bigness of the picture. Let's look in detail then. Let's at least get a definition to begin this journey. Verse 11 says two, two aspects to what the, the writer here is saying. 11.1 1, saying faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And I should say there's some different translations and some slightly different wording. The ESV should be up on the screen so that you know what I'm reading from. If you have an other inferior version, we can pray for you later. But the ESV puts it this way, the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for let's take that first part that literally talks about being fully sure being fully steadfast or being fully secure fully sure fully steadfast fully secure in our hope what is our hope it's not a trick question what is what is your hope jesus well jesus is my hope i'm not sure what your hope is my hope is in him he is my hope so it's being fully sure, fully steadfast. It's not vain hope. It's not wishful thinking. Fully sure, fully steadfast, fully secure in Him. The Amplified Version puts it this way. Faith is leaning on Him with absolute confidence. Leaning on Him with absolute confidence in His power, His wisdom, and His goodness. It's all about leaning on Him leaning on him so the second half so the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen some translations translate this as the evidence of things or the proof of things what's actually described here is a process the literal translation is the means by which a thing is proved or tested so i'll suggest this to us that faith is never meant to be simply the result or anything static it's something that needs to be lived out it needs to be put into place in our lives i would term this faith is a proving process it's both the process and the proof that relates and comes forth the evidence from that process we're going to take that a little bit further next week. So it's living or fully leaning upon the present promises of Christ and it's fully living out 
the proving process. Fully leaning upon our hope which is Him, the present promise of our Emmanuel, our God who is with us, and a fully living out the proving process of faith. That's my definition. If you don't like it, you can find your own. But for our purposes, that's what we're going to delve into a little bit further. So this morning, I want to talk to us with that introduction about what does it mean then to be fully leaning on the present promises? Because I want to discover this kind of faith. I want to know what that looks like, not just in my head, but in my heart. Lord, would you cause us to be this people of faith that you have described, that you've invited us. It's our privilege and it's our calling to be and to become a people of faith. So if you're taking notes, three points. Point number one, what does it mean for us to be fully leaning on the present promise of Christ, on our hope which is Him? Number one, it's about recognizing the source. You could say it's all about who you're leaning on. If it's the leaning that's important, then what's most important is what you're leaning on, isn't it? You've got to be sure of what you're sure of. What is it that you are leaning on in your life? And this is one of the biggest issues I have with the modern church in a lot of areas teaching on faith is that somehow we have made faith something that is leaning upon ourselves. It's something in here. It's something we've got to work at. We've got to grow in it. We've got to achieve it. It's all about us. It's all about what we can do. The great tragedy, well, there's many great tragedies with that sort of theology, but probably the greatest tragedy is it means that every time something doesn't happen, it's our fault. You don't see what you were believing. Well, you just didn't have enough faith. I had a, uh, a good friend of mine some years ago now who uh, the two of us were quite close, and he was a Christian. He was involved in another church here in the city. He was the worship pastor of the church. He led young adults groups, very involved a real family of faith, believers. And their family hit a massive um, roadblock in their lives, a tragedy, when his mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. She was given a matter of months to live. And so they approached it with what they thought was faith, and they did everything that they knew to believe for her to be healed. They prayed and they fasted, and the church believed, prayed and fasted, and ultimately, she wasn't healed. The outcome was not what they were believing for. That happens. But the tragedy in that particular church and that environment was he was then told by multiple people as they struggled to deal with what they thought was going to happen, not happening. And he was told, well, it was just because your family didn't have enough faith. That's the reason your mother died. You didn't have enough faith. You did not believe enough. There was some doubt. If, if you just had more faith, then she would have been healed. And you know, that broke him. That absolutely broke him. He walked away from the Lord. I don't think he's set foot inside a church again. This is a horrible, damaging picture of faith. Really? Is that what faith is? Faith is all about what we can work up in ourselves. Well, let me suggest that it is very different. Ephesians 2.8 says, It is by grace you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. 
Now, most theologians will tell you that the this referred to, the subject, is not, in fact, the grace, but is the faith to receive the grace. We all know that salvation is by faith, but this passage is telling us that even the faith to believe for salvation is a gift from God. That as we turn to Him, He gives us the faith that we need to believe and receive this wonderful thing called grace. I would suggest this to us. Faith is not a call to work hard or work something up. Faith is a call to lean hard. It's not a call to work hard. It's a call to lean hard. It's not an invitation to us. You just got to work this thing up. It's an invitation to Him and to be fully leaning upon His promises and His faithfulness. There's an amen. Come on. Let's look at a story. This, this is a good series because we're just going to cover some of my favorite stories about faith. So let's go over to Matthew 14 and verse 22. Who's ever heard of the story of Peter walking on the water? That's always a favorite one, isn't it, when you're talking about faith? Peter walked on the water. So let's read it. Matthew 14, 22, it says, Immediately he being Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side. He dismissed the crowds. After that, he went up the mountain to pray. Evening came. He was there alone. The boat by this time was a long way from the land. It was being beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. Another translation says they were straining with all their might just to control this boat. There's a storm. There's wind. And in the fourth watch of the night, here they are, they've been going, they've been travailing against the storm. And here comes Jesus walking on the sea. Verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. You know, you could preach so many sermons from this passage. I'm resisting. Let's go on. Verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. And he said, come. Now, I wonder if Peter fully thought this through. This sounds like a bit of an illogical request. I mean, anyone who was sane would have cried out, there's Jesus, there's straining, there's a storm, there's wind. I've been going all night. Jesus, if that's you, stop the storm. Wouldn't that be, that'd be your first point there, wouldn't it? Jesus, if that's you, give us some supernatural strength here so we can row out of, I mean, anything other than what he requests. Jesus, if that's you, get me out of the boat. I want to walk on water. I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he was just, there was just something in him that recognized that he was better off with Jesus in the storm than he was without Jesus in the boat with the others. But Jesus says to him, come. I love this. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. Let me emphasize that. You see, you often see these Sunday school pictures. My children have got them. And there's the boat, and there's Peter. He's only halfway out of the boat before he's actually sunk down. You know, he's kind of not even got his... He's trying to hitch up his skirt and get in there, and he's already sinking. But that's not what the translation says. The word literally says that he walked on the water. He did. He did it. He actually walked on the water. He did something that no person before him and no person that I'm aware of since has ever done. He defied gravity and he walked on the water to Jesus, but something happened as he was walking. It says, verse 30, he saw the wind, he was afraid, and then he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. 
And there was Jesus. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him and said, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And they got in the boat, they worshipped him, truly you're the Son of God, and they smacked Peter on the back of the head, said, what on earth were you thinking? That bit's not in there. Here's the point, there's so many points in there, but this is what I want to bring out. Jesus' instruction, his words, his, often we see it as a rebuke, don't we? criticizing Peter's faith. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? I would suggest to us, and this is one of those passages, isn't it, that where you see if Peter just had more faith, if he just had more, if he just believed, if he just, you know, the power of positive thinking, if he just had removed those negative thoughts. Remove, but you see, I don't think that it was ever Peter's faith that was in question. Jesus himself said, if you have a little faith, you can move a mountain. There's nothing wrong with a little faith. He didn't say to Peter, you have no faith. I don't think it's his faith at all. It's his doubt. You see, if faith had been in question, he would have said, Peter, did you see what happened there? You only had a little bit of faith. If, you know, a little bit of faith, that'll only get you 10 steps. But if you can really work hard, you know, if you can strive in yourself, then we can move you up to the next level. You can move to little, to a little bit more. That'll get you 15 then you can move to a little, little bit more. Then I get you 20. And then eventually, if we can get you at the level of medium faith, if you can get to medium, wow, anything is possible. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, Peter, there's, there's, there's more you've got to work inside yourself. You've got to, a little bit of faith is all it takes. I mean, he wasn't half sinking, was it? It wasn't like his faith was insufficient. He was there and only one leg stood above the water and the other one fell, you know. It's partial. He had a little bit of faith and a little bit of faith is all it takes. But Jesus is pointing to him and the, the King James brings this out. He says, Peter, you were walking. You had a little bit of faith. Therefore, why did you doubt? Why did you turn from a place of faith in me? And as you trusted me, you walked to a place of doubt where you sunk. Now, what is doubt? The word literally means to waver. See, what happened? As long as his little bit of faith was placed in Jesus, he walked. But as soon as his little bit of faith was placed in his own ability, he sees the wind, he sees the waves. As soon as his little bit of faith wavered because of the circumstances and the source became his inability to walk on the water rather than Christ's ability, he sinks. And that's what I want to suggest to us. If we are the source, it's limited, it frails, it fails. The power of positivity, it's all the rage, isn't it? Even in some churches, you just got to, you know, the, there's, there's nothing wrong with positive thinking, but it's not faith. And positive thinking will only get you so far because positive thinking is all about relying on what I can do. Faith is all about relying on what he can do. Reinhard Bonnke puts it this way. He says, faith is like the fuse. A fuse is tiny, especially when you think the power, the electricity that a fuse carries. You know, there's, there's plants, there's in high, uh, entire production facilities that feed the power to cities and to nations. And all of that power is carried into your house, into your circumstance, into your situation by a tiny fuse. And it's not the size of the fuse that counts. It's what your fuse is connected to. That's it. What, what is the source of your fuse? 
Because if the source of your fuse is you, it will fail. If the source of your fuse is him, that's what Jesus is saying. Can you get this? Why did you doubt? As long as your source was me, you did what was impossible. When you became your own source, you sunk. I thought you might be a little more excited about that, but we'll press on. It's not the size of the fuse. It's not the amount of faith that you have that is important. A little bit of faith is all it takes when it's connected to Him. Recognize the source. Realize it's all about who you're leaning on. It's all about being sure of what you're sure. What are you leaning on? What are you leaning on in your life? Number two, faith is not trusting in a system but trusting in a somebody. And I realize these, these points are all, in, in one sense, they're all different aspects of the same reality. But faith is not trusting in a system. Here's the other misnomer about faith, that it's some system. It'll get you what you want, but you've got to follow the system. It's all about principles. Now, is there principles? Of course, there's principles. Principles are not a bad thing, but faith at its essence is not about principles, but it's about a person. And faith by nature takes us beyond any system that we could ever create. If you can systemize it, it's not faith. Let me show you the danger of trusting in a system rather than a somebody. Come with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. Let's read this story together. Mark 3, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered a synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. He's begun his ministry. He's begun to do signs and wonders. And the Pharisees have been alerted and alarmed by both who he is and what he's done. He doesn't fit in their system. They've got no paradigm for this Jesus. And so it says, They watched Jesus to see whether he might heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. They came only to accuse him. Ever met someone like that? Not the miserable people to come around. They walk into the church and they look for things to criticize. The decor and the songs and the way things are done. And Jesus said to the man with a withered hand, come here. And he said to them, you see what Jesus is going to do here is he's not only just going to heal the man, but he's going to expose their system and their system that is broken. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? He's quoting to them or getting them to focus on the system, on the laws they believe. They were silent. Verse 5, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and his hand was instantly restored. You see, here is a moment, if ever there was a moment, to celebrate the power and the goodness of God. They've been waiting for the Messiah for thousands of years. They've been encouraging one another. He's coming, He's coming, He's saving. The Scriptures proclaim that He will come and save His people, the Messiah. He's coming, and here He is before them. And He's performed a miracle that they could only dream of. A man with a withered hand. I mean, I don't know about you, I would be on my chair exclaiming with praise, a withered hand. He stretches it out and it's healed. 
perfectly and fully restored. What's their response? Verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Not only did they miss the somebody in their midst, but evidence of the somebody, because it didn't fit in the system, turned them further against him. How, how did they get there? How did they get there? They should have been celebrating, and instead they're talking about, did you see that? So, yeah, well, we saw that. We got him now. We got him. What do you mean we got him? We, he healed on the Sabbath. You see, the, the reality Jesus was pointing out, it's not even against the law to heal on the Sabbath. Ah, but it's a technicality because it's against the law to work on the Sabbath, and we can clown healing as work. Therefore, see, we've got God on a technicality. Technically speaking, he's working. Technically speaking, that's the stupidest thing that anyone could ever come up with. Because God is in the midst and they want to hold him up on a technicality. So great was their system. And Jesus, I mean, he knew their system. He points out their system and he deliberately operates outside their system for two reasons. One, to show them that their system is miserable. Who would want to live under that sort of a system? But to say your faith should never be in a system. If your faith is in a system, it's not faith. Your faith should be in a somebody. Faith by nature, you look at all the examples, it causes people to step outside their comfort zones. We'll look at that more next week. In the proving process, I feel for this guy called Joshua. Now Joshua had just been given a big task. Moses, this incredible man of God, had passed on. He'd handed on the empire handed on the, the leadership of the Jewish nation to Joshua. And here's Joshua, and Joshua's had this appearing of the Lord who came to him. And the Lord says, Joshua, I'll be with you. Do not fear. Be of great courage. Everywhere your feet steps, I will deliver that country. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. It's an incredible word from the Lord. I mean, he's, he's bold. He's full of confidence. God is with me probably had some idea i don't know how it's going to work but we're going to go and defeat the enemy let's go and so the first great nation the first great city they come as they enter the promised land is of course the nation of jericho these huge fortress walls and i just imagine him there and they're probably strategizing a little bit how are we going to take the city what's the lord going to do is it going to be a mighty earthquake how's he going to deliver them into our hands and then the lord speaks to joshua and says joshua here's the plan you're going to go and dance around the city for a week. <laughs> Tell the people, put away their weapons. Get out your dancing shoes. I would love to have seen that conversation. What was the look on his face? Are you sure? Are you really sure about this? We're going to terrify them with our tango. <laughs> this is going to strike fear into the heart of the greatest nation that existed. And it says, even as they danced around, the people laughed at them. They ridiculed them. You ever notice that as you step out in faith at times, there's people who will stand at the walls and laugh and jeer? You think those are dance moves. And yet that was the Lord's method, wasn't it? And as they were faithful to step out in faith, the Lord was faithful to His Word to deliver the promised land into their hands. The point is this, faith doesn't always fit into a system. 
Jesus didn't invite Peter. He didn't say, oh, Pete, you know, let me invite you into this place of giving you a system around how to walk on water. Here's the principles. Here's the three-point sermon, the introduction, the conclusion. Nothing wrong with sermons and points. But he invited him into a place. He said, remember, you've got a little bit of faith. Don't try and put it in a system. Just put your faith in me, in who I am. So faith is not trusting in a system, but trusting in a somebody. And number three, very quickly, and we'll bring this to a conclusion. Faith is all about putting confidence in His character, not in an outcome. Faith is all about putting confidence in His character. You see, I said before, we want a system, we want principles, we want this box for how faith works, for how life works. But what happens when the system doesn't work, the system that we've created? I know there used to be a time in my life, you might have had one of these times as well, there was a time when I knew everything there was to know. (laughs) They were glorious years, they were wonderful years. My mother bought me a badge and said, hire a teenager while they still know everything. (laughs) I could tell you everything about anything. But then the reality is that life sometimes messes with your system. You realize you don't quite have it all figured out. What do you do when you face the loss of a loved one? When you go to the doctor's office and you get the terminal report? What do you do when your husband of 20, 30 years walks out on you, has an affair? You know, not once has someone come to me in a time of crisis and said, Andrew, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, just give me a sermon. I just need three points, I need an introduction, I need a conclusion, preferably a humorous illustration. You don't want a sermon, do you? You want a faith that works. You want a faith that has substance. You want something that will sustain you when the bottom of your world has fallen out, when things have come to a head. A faith that is not just principles, but is a person. You see, there is. But that faith only comes when it is built upon Him and His character and His promise to you. We want to make faith all about an outcome. Faith, it's this, it's this, it's this. Faith is confidence in His character, not necessarily in an outcome. I remember in one of the great crises of my life, I've had a few, probably some of you have had many worse than I, but I remember when my wife and I, and I've shared this story many times before, but when we were pregnant with our first child, and we faced a very, very grievous medical report. And the doctor said, your child has less than 5% chance of making it through. This is dire. <coughs> and I remember in that moment, I'm like, Lord, what is this? There must be an explanation. There must be an answer. There must be a system that I can put this in. And I... Remember so clearly hopping in the car as I headed home from that hospital. My wife stayed in the hospital for some months as they tried to, to see what they could do to help this child. <clears throat> and that very first night as I sat with all the emotions, with all the, the grief, just those 
crisis of faith, the crisis of God, where, where are, what, what is this? And the Lord spoke to me so clearly in that car and he said, Andrew, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And I said, Lord, well, tell me what the outcome will be and then I'll tell you whether I'm going to trust you. And it was this invitation from the Lord. He's saying, what is your faith built upon? Is it built upon an outcome? Is that what you want? Or is it built upon a person? Knowing that I'm good, that I'm faithful, regardless of what happens in life. In fact, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trial. That's very discouraging. But he says, take heart. Not because I'll keep you from trial, but he says, I have overcome the world. Because you can have a faith that not only survives those tough seasons, but it thrives. True faith is only put to the test in the dark nights of the soul. And you can have a faith not only that works, but it survives, it thrives, it grows. A faith that's unshakable. But that's the sort of faith that's built upon confidence in his character. Not upon a certain outcome. You know, if you were facing a major medical crisis, you would want to know that the doctor in charge knew what he was doing. You wouldn't invite anyone. You wouldn't invite your best friend along. Would you take care of my surgery? You want to know the qualifications. You want to know that he's the best in the business, that your life is in good hands. And you see, that is the promise of faith. Not that as you come to Christ, he will take you through, take you from Every challenge. You will have challenges. But by faith we can rest in the confidence of His character. His character we see in the Word. His character that He proves through the proving process. That He's with us. That He's for us. That He will see us through regardless of whether the outcomes happen in exactly the way that we think they will happen. That's the kind of faith that we need. God, I'm taking my faith off an outcome and I'm putting it in you, in a person. I don't need just principles. I need to know you, the person and your character. Not taken from, but proven through. So as we begin this journey of faith, let me just conclude it this way. The first aspect of faith is to lean on His present promise. To lean on. His faithfulness, His goodness, to trust in Him, regardless of anything that is around. A little bit of faith, it's all you, all you need, as long as it's placed in Him. It will never fail. How do we do that? We remember the source. We trust in the somebody and stop trying to figure out the system. And we place our confidence in His character rather than any outcome. So I want to pray for us as we finish, and I don't know if the worship team is going to come back again. They did at the first service. And I want to conclude just by praying for us. So can you close your eyes, only so that you're not distracted and your focus and intention is upon the Lord. And this morning, after I pray for us, you're welcome to come forward if you'd like prayer for any and every prayer need. It would be a, a pleasure 
and an honor to stand with you, to agree together, to believe the Lord for whatever you need. But I particularly want to pray for us. As I said at the beginning, my heart is not that we would come away with a, a new knowledge of faith, with a new understanding, with a new definition. Oh, I like his better. I don't like his definition as well as my own. That's fine. Those things aren't bad. But what I am passionately interested in is the Lord doing something in our hearts in this area of faith. May this be the season for each of us and for us as a church where the Lord will call us out beyond anything that we've known, beyond the systems to radical dependence upon Him. And as we put our faith in Him to see what He can do. Just a little bit of faith. Put in Him. And watch and be amazed as He uses us as His people to accomplish His purpose and plans in this day and this time. So, Lord, I do pray for each and every one of us here. Thank you that we've heard your word and your word promises that your faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of, of the Lord. So I would simply pray, Lord, that your faith would stir in our hearts. Would you impart fresh faith? Lord, we're not afraid to ask, as one man did to you face to face. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Help us, stir us up to really believe in you. I thank you that faith is a gift. It's not something that we need to work up, but it is something that we need to learn to rely upon, to press into, to lean upon, not with our understanding, but with all that we are. And I thank you that you are the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we would ask. I just want to pray one more thing, Lord. I just want to pray for anyone here this morning who is in that time of crisis. They are in that moment of uncertainty, of all they can see is the waves and the wind. All they can hear is the, the voice of doubt. And Lord, I pray that something would rise up, that little bit of faith they need to rest in you, to lean upon you, to trust in you. Just that little bit of faith. To put their confidence in who you are and what you've promised them. Not the prognosis, not the diagnosis, not the conflict, not the situation, not the circumstance that they're facing, but in you. Pray that in Jesus' name. Stir our hearts. Amen.